Hello and welcome again to the podcast from God to us. Thank you for joining us as we continue our journey through the New Testament and as we continue with the book of John. We have given you the overview and the background. Last episode we got through chapter 11 of the book of John, but we had to break it off at that point and we will continue our study in the book of John at this point beginning in chapter 12. In chapter 12, we have the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city. We have an account where Jesus predicts his death. We've seen this in the other gospel accounts. John only records one of these accounts. Jesus had informed his disciples at least three times that he was going to go to Jerusalem. He was going to suffer. He was going to die. and He was going to rise again. And Jesus reveals this at this point to his disciples. Then we come to chapter 13. And chapter 13 begins this section of Jesus' teaching to his disciples the night before his crucifixion. Chapter 13 through 17, John does not record the actual Last Supper and the foundation of the Lord's Supper, which has been done in the other three gospel accounts. John records that during this meal, Jesus got up, took off his outer garment, poured some water in a basin, and uh, wrapped a towel around his waist and began to go and wash the disciples' feet. When he came to Simon Peter, the Lord said, No, you won't wash my feet. And Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but you will later on. And Peter said, No. Jesus said, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Peter said, then not just my feet, but my hands and my head. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Now, we understand that he's referring to Judas there. He was not clean. Jesus is giving a spiritual picture here. That once you have been clean spiritually, you have been born again, you're born anew, you only have to have your hands and feet washed. But if you haven't come to Jesus Christ and you haven't been cleansed, then you're not clean before God. And all of these were clean before God except the one who was going to betray him. Therefore, we understand that Judas was not truly a believer. He was a follower of Jesus and he was even claimed named as an apostle, but He was not clean, according to what Jesus said. When he had finished washing their feet, verse verse 12, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, and no messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. So Jesus was giving a spiritual picture of forgiveness, that we have been washed, we have been cleansed, but we we get our hands and our feet dirty, and we need those to be washed in a spiritual sense. We need to come to Jesus for forgiveness, for cleansing when, when we do sin. And I think what he's teaching his disciples here is, Just as I have forgiven you and continue to forgive you, you need to forgive one another. It's not necessarily a physical washing of the feet because the lesson here is a spiritual lesson. 
Jesus then predicts his betrayal about who is going to betray him. And he, he says to them, I am telling you the truth now before it happens so that you, when it does happen, you will believe that I am or I am he. I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in the spirit. I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another and the lost. One of them looked at the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is, we understand to be a reference to John himself, was reclining next to him. And Sider Peter motioned to that disciple, asked him, leaning against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus said, is the one whom I will give the piece of bread when I is dipped in the cup. And he dipped it and gave it to Judas. And he told Judas, whatever you do, go and do quickly. And Judas left. But the disciples still didn't get it. He's basically saying, Judas is the betrayer, but they, they just couldn't see it. But Jesus continues to teach his disciples that are there. In verse 34, he gives them a new command. He says, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How difficult is it for us to keep that command? Jesus said, the way the world will know that you are my follower is not by you just saying I'm a follower of Jesus. It's if you love your brother and sister in Christ, if you love one another. Yet I think this is one of the ways that Satan continues to hinder the ministry of the church is he gets between us and other people in the body of Christ and causes problems and causes us to not love one another. But Jesus said, this is how they will know if you truly love one another. In chapter 14, Jesus has some words of comfort to his disciples. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way and the place where I'm going. This is a passage that I've used and often is used at funerals to speak of the place that Jesus has prepared a place for those who are his. It's a very comforting passage that Jesus said, I'm going to come and get you someday so that you can be with me where I am. And that is something we should comfort ourselves with. When times get hard, if we belong to Jesus, we know that one day he will come and get us and take us to be with him. Then Thomas says, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't know where you're going. And Jesus makes another one of his uh, I am claims. Uh, in verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Here, Jesus makes it very clear. You can't truly come to God. You can't come to God the Father any other way except through Jesus. This statement is both an inclusive and exclusive statement. It's inclusive that anyone can come or whoever, anyone who believes in Jesus can come. But if you don't come through Jesus, you can't know the Father. You can't truly come to God. Jesus continues on with his teaching. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, again, declaring that he is God. 
He encourages them to come and, and ask for things. In verse 13, he said, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me anything in my name and I will do it. To ask in the name of Jesus is to ask for his glory on the earth, not for our glory. And then he goes on and makes the first statement about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And in the introduction, we said there are several different instances in this passage where he promises the comforter, which he calls in, which in verse 17, he declares as the spirit of truth. He will come and he will be in you, he declares in this verse 17. The world cannot know him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So the Holy Spirit came and dwelt with him prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, but he will be in you. This is a statement that he will come and be a permanent indwelling within his disciples. A little further down, he goes on and talks about the Holy Spirit again. Verse 25, and this I have spoken while I'm still with you, but the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So he's saying, the Holy Spirit is there to remind us of the things that Jesus has said, to remind us of the word of God, so that, so that when we are out in the world, we have the Holy Spirit who is with us to bring to our knowledge, to bring to our memory the things that we have already learned. If you haven't learned anything, then the Holy Spirit doesn't have anything to work with. But when you've learned the words of Jesus, you learn the word of God, then the Holy Spirit brings these things to your remembrance. In chapter 15, we have another of Jesus' I am claims, where he is, uh, claims to be, I am the true vine. He has the picture of a grapevine that's growing and that those who are in him are the branches. So, and he declares that we must abide in him. Verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And so that's an important statement to abide and remain in Jesus means to continue to trust in him, to depend upon him, to pray to him, to talk to him, to seek him, abiding in Jesus's presence. He said, for we, without him, you can do nothing. That means we can do nothing that is truly good, nothing truly good for God. We might be able to do some good things, but you can't do anything, any type of good that will last. Jesus said, you will produce fruit that will last. In other words, there will be a lasting effect to that which you do when you're depending upon him. There will be lasting effect with people. There will also be a reward for that. And Jesus uses this illustration of the vine, declaring that we must abide in him. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. So that's one of the ways we remain in him, is to be obedient to what he has told us to do, to obey his commands. Verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Of course, he's speaking of himself, that Jesus is going to lay down his life for them. And so here he's commanding them to be sure that you love each other. 
In verse 18, he talks about, well, if the world hates you, don't be surprised because they hated me first. There will be some persecution. People hate Jesus. They hate the truth. They hate the fact that when Jesus speaks truth, he confronts them. When we speak the truth of the word of God, people hate that because it confronts them about who they are and, and their sin. And he says, people are going to hate you for that. But uh, then again, and he talks about the comforter comes that I will send. He is the spirit of truth who goes out from the father to testify about me. The, the spirit of truth will be the one who gives us the ability to testify of Jesus. This is one of the primary works of the Holy Spirit is to testify of Jesus. In chapter 16, Jesus declares that he's going to leave, but unless he leaves, the counselor will not come. And then in verse 8, he says, when he comes, speaking of the counselor of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of guilt in regards to, right, regards to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. In regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The Holy Spirit is here to convict people. He convicts us of sin. He convicts us of righteousness. And he convicts us of judges, judgment. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. We do not have to try to force people to be convicted of their sin. We just pray for them and the Holy Spirit will convict them for what sin they are committing. Again, in verse 13, he says, The Spirit comes and he will guide you into all truth. The Spirit will be our guide. He will remind us of truth and he will guide us into truth. Then Jesus has some more teaching. Again, we're having to skim some of this. But down in verse 24, he says, Now, until now you have asked not ask me for anything in my name. Ask and you receive that your joy will be complete. Jesus wants to answer our prayers. He never promised to give us everything we ask for, but he wants to answer our prayers. He wants us to talk to him. He wants us to ask for good things from him. He closes out this part of the section where he says, I have told you these things, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And then we come to chapter 17, which is, as we said in the beginning, the Lord's Prayer. This is the prayer that Jesus is praying to the Father. And it's a beautiful prayer that he prays for his disciples. He prays for himself to be glorified, which that was the Father's mission for him. But then he prays for his disciples. He prays for their protection. He prays for the Father to be with them. Verse 11, he says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus is praying for his disciples that their ministry be effective, but that they will be one, they will be united, they will be protected. Down in verse 15, he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. He knows that they need to be there. They're the ones who are going to be the testimony of Jesus and be the ones who found and lay the foundation for his church. But he prays that God will protect them from the evil one. And then he says, they are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. 
your word is truth. He asked God to sanctify them by the word. And here's one of the most encouraging parts of the prayer to me in verse 20. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent them. Jesus prayed for us, for all who will believe in him, all who will believe the message that they spoke. He is praying for all people who have come to Jesus in faith. And then Jesus comes to end of this, this prayer. He says, verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And that's the close of Jesus' prayer. We didn't read the whole prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. I encourage you to read the rest of that prayer as Jesus prays for his disciples and even prays for us. Chapter 18, we come to Jesus' arrest and his trials and Peter's denial. Again, we're having to skim over some of this, but Jesus is taken before the high priest. Peter denies him three times, and then he's brought before Pilate. Pilate wants to release Jesus because he doesn't find any reason for his crucifixion. In fact, in chapter 18 and part of 19, there are three times that Pilate tries to release Jesus. Uh, the last time, even after he has him flogged, but the Jews and the people keep screaming for Jesus' crucifixion. This section also contains an interesting conversation between Jesus and Pilate, where Jesus declares to Pilate that he is a king. He also claims that he has a kingdom. His kingdom is not of this world. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. This is uh, in verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If it, were my, if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. And so he's saying it's just not a worldly kingdom. It, it's a kingdom from God. It's a powerful kingdom. And Jesus is not declaring that there never will be an earthly kingdom. But it's a different kind of kingdom that will be coming. In 19, Jesus is flogged. And he finally turns Jesus over, Pilate finally turns Jesus over to be crucified. We have the account of the crucifixion. John records the account while Jesus is hanging on the cross where his mother Mary is there and John is there. John is the only disciple who hasn't left at the crucifixion. And Jesus looks at his mother and John and says, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple is John, he says, here is your mother. So he's making sure that John will be there to help take care of his mother. And then we see the death of Jesus. In verse 30 it says, When he had received the drink, because they gave him a, a drink with wine vinegar on it, it says, When he had received it, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. The work that Jesus came to do for dying to pay for our sins is finished. My friends, all your sins have been paid for. It is finished because Jesus paid for them. 
we have the burial, and then in chapter 20, the glorious resurrection. When Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb, she finds the stone rolled away. She runs back to tell Peter, and Peter and John run to the tomb. They, they get to the tomb, and they go in, and they see the cloth and the linen that was just laying there and no body, and they don't know what to think. Peter is skeptical. John believes that something miraculous has happened. Mary goes back to the tomb, and we have the account here of Jesus and Mary's interaction. Jesus begins to speak to her, and, and she do, doesn't know who it is. She thinks it's the gardener. But when Jesus says her name, this is in verse 16, Mary, she turned toward him and cried in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. So Jesus appears here to Mary. He later appears to his disciples when Thomas is absent. They tell Thomas that they have seen Jesus. Thomas, like many of us, doubts and says, unless I put my fingers in his side or in his hands, I will not believe. And then Jesus appears with Thomas present and he tells Thomas, here, come see, put your fingers in my hands and my side. And Thomas just says, my Lord and my God, he believes. Jesus is alive. He has risen from the dead. And now he brings everlasting life to all who believe in him. And we come to the final chapter, which is the chapter where Jesus appears to his disciples. He walks along the shore. He tells them to throw their nets on the other side where they caught no fish all night. They catch a great catch of fish and they suddenly realize that this is Jesus. They come to the shore and uh, Jesus has breakfast ready for them. He's sitting down with his disciples. He looks at Simon Peter and asks him, do you love me more than these? Of course, Peter responds, yes, Lord, I love you. He asks him three times. Uh, then he says, feed my sheep. And he asks him three times, do you love me? And each time Peter says, yes. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. This is Jesus' reinstatement of Peter, even though Peter had denied him three times. He allows Peter three times to say, yes, I love you, Lord. And he gives him the command feed my sheep and then he tells his disciples to follow him then john closes his account with these words this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down we know that his testimony is true jesus did many other things as well if every one of them were written down i suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written john says I didn't try to record everything about Jesus. I just wrote these down so that you would believe. But if we wrote everything down, in John's opinion, the whole world couldn't contain the books that would have to be written to explain all there is to know about Jesus. Well, this is the end of the book of John and the end of the gospel accounts. And I hope that you have learned some things from these books. I hope it has been helpful. And I hope that this encourages you to dig in and study the word of God even more. So may God bless you as you continue in your study of his word.